Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the World in Sport. I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, Toa Samoa sealed their spot among the rugby league elite. The region's top women's cricketers prepared to do battle in the World 7 Series nears the end. But first, the new Fiji rugby coach, John McKee, believes he has what it takes to turn an abundance of raw talent into a well-drilled winning team. McKee's been promoted from his role as Fiji rugby's high-performance manager and replaces Anoke Malia, who was sacked in January. He's held a range of coaching positions in Australia, Europe and the Pacific and says he can't wait to get started. You know, I see huge potential here in terms of performance. I, I think Flying Free Gens have been a little inconsistent and maybe underformed a bit in the, over the last little while. So I, I, I could see that the, the potential and what I can contribute to the actual coaching of the team to bring them on. That, 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 was, that was a challenge I wanted to take on. There has been obviously a lot of disruptions in Fijian rugby and administration uh, at the start of the year, we had the, the the payments and the sponsors, and Ben found it very difficult with the sevens, and obviously with the Nokia losing that job. Are, are you confident that you're going to be able to do this job and, and not have distractions? I know things have settled down since then. Are you confident that you're going to have a free reign to, to do what you need to do and, and have the resources that you require to do that? We need to re-engage with the IFB, which is ongoing now, and, and, and I believe in my role as high-performance manager involved in, in those discussions to get our funding back there. So I think that that's very close to... Um, going back to the normal situation. So with the IRB fundings and the, and the new um, sponsorship consortium they, they put together earlier this year, the funding will be on quite a sound footing and obviously there's a lot of programs that need to be funded out of that but that will certainly help the flying Fijians. It's been recognised that all, all the changes haven't helped them over the over the previous probably four or five years when there's been a lot of change in round high performance managers and, and head coaches. So the current board are really looking for stability going forward. So I'm confident that I can, you know, really guide a good team of players and management and support staff to really um, bring the performance levels of the national team up. We're in May. It's not long until June, which is an absolutely massive month. You've obviously got the Pacific Nations Cup, which is a regular thing, but uh, of course that match against Cook Islands is yeah. uh, crucial in terms of uh, you're either in the World Cup or you're not. Um, what do you think about the challenge ahead? My first focus is, is, is the June Test matches, and it's not as if I'm coming in in new. Uh, you know, at, at my role as, as high performance manager because the head coach position was vacant. I probably previous two months I've been doing a lot of the work that a head coach would normally do around assessing overseas players, you know, towards selection and, and also you know the planning of the assemblies and the trainings for, for June. So planning for June is quite well down the track. It's not as if we were waiting for the head coach and then start thinking about what we're going to do next. So from that point of view, things are well on track. June is a massive, massive month, and that, that World Cup qualifier is, is such a such an important game for us. As a coach, obviously, I'm wary of that game. I would hate people to think, oh, yeah, well, Fiji have got a good side and we're highly ranked compared to the Cook Islands and the, and the world rankings, so therefore we'll win that game. We must um, 
make sure we prepare very well for that game and make sure that we've really got the best possible team assembled to um, be successful in that game. And then we can make our plans going forward. The, well, I think for us, the, the big plus for June is that all the tests are here in, in Fiji, so a lot of stability around the preparation, the trainings for the four games without having to worry about travel. I mean, normally in the Pacific Nations Cup, travel is always an issue because you're playing games all over the place. But this year we're all here in Fiji, so it's it's great for the team and it's also great for the local community to see the flying Fijians in action. Is your contract, John, dependent on winning that game? I mean, are you going to be employed regardless of whether the team qualifies for the World Cup or not? It's not in my contract that I have to win that game. But, you know, as you know, with coaching, to an extent, depends on success. Look, I'm focusing on getting everything right in terms of the preparation and I'm confident that we do a good job there, get the good team together, get the right management backing together that you know, the results will look after themselves. Will it be a full-strength team? Obviously, it's an international window, but you've got a lot of players that play up in sort of Japan, uh, over in Asia. Uh, sorry, um, Asia, that's Japan. Uh, over in Europe, sorry, is what I meant. Uh, and, of course, you've got a number of guys involved in Super Rugby. Uh, you know, the likes of, obviously, Namani Nandolo has been doing brilliantly yep. well for the Crusaders recently. Do you expect yes, to have yes. all those sorts of players? Yeah, this, I've, I've been really pleased with the availability of the players. and I, I actually took a trip to Europe um, about a month ago and, and travelled around and saw quite a number of the players in my role as high performance manager and really talking about our plans going forward and also as you know to talk to senior players about their availability so I've been very very pleased nearly all of our, our top players barring a couple who are, who are injured are, are available for June so and that's, that's players in Europe some players from Japan and, and also players from Super Rugby so we will be able to put together a very very good team and uh, obviously with your experience uh, with the Australian uh, age group teams uh, coming from New Zealand, uh, your time up in Tonga as well, uh, you know, you're, you're familiar with the area, you're obviously familiar with the high-performance environments. Uh, this is another step, of course, um, leading a, a team in international rugby. Um, what do you bring to this role and um, you know, what are you most excited about in terms of the job? I've had a lot of experience with Pacific Island, involvement with Pacific Island rugby at the highest level over a number of years now with the... the starting really around with the Pacific Islanders back in um, 2008. And since then, obviously, my role with Tonga, you know, my role in the, in the World Cup campaign, all those types of things, it, it just it builds my experience for, for this role. I've got a lot of coaching experience in, in different environments, but I've also very experienced in the Pacific, so I understand, understand the particular nuances and the, and the particular issues that, that you need to deal with, and, and it is, and sometimes it is around player availability, but it's certainly around you know, preparing your teams in, in short windows. You don't get a lot of access to your players, so you need to be really well-planned when, when the teams come together. Uh, you know, I understand all the things about you know, communicating with our players, all around the world and all those types of things. So I bring all that to the table. I also understand the need. I mean, it's not, it's not just about the players. You need the support structure around the team that, that creates the environment and the processes that lead to results. What attracted me to the position, I mean, I just, having observed Fiji Rugby for a number of years, I, I just feel that they just have underperformed and I believe I can turn that around. And, and I, look, I look at the form of their players in different competitions around the world. Some of their players are absolutely fine form and best players for their club and all that type of thing in, in professional environments. So, so the playing stocks are very good. We, we do have challenges. We've got great, great finishes, but we need to work on bolstering up our, our set play because, you know, test match rugby, you know, you need to have a good, strong set play to, to win your ball and also to put pressure on the opposition. But, you know, they're, they're the challenges, the areas we need to work on, but certainly 
in terms of finishes and X-factor players, I think we've got plenty of them. So there's areas we need to work on, but I think the upside out the other end is that we can really put together a very, very exciting team and really challenge some of the top teams on the, on the world rankings within a short time. That's the new Fiji rugby coach, John McKee. Toa Samoa coach Matt Parrish says qualifying for the Four Nations is a massive boost for rugby league in the island nation. The Samoans avenged last year's World Cup quarter-final defeat to Fiji, coming from behind to beat the Bati 32-16 in Sydney at the weekend. By winning the Pacific Test, Samoa also qualifies for the end-of-year Four Nations, where they'll line up against the top three teams in the world, Australia, New Zealand and England. Matt Parrish says that's great news both for his players and the game back in Samoa. Massive privilege, but it's, it's massive for rugby league. You know, in Samoa, I get government funding and sponsorship now. I think they can really set the league up on the island there for the next, you know, five or six years. And uh, the thing about it is, you know, there's about 38% of rugby league players in the NRL are all Polynesian. So we do definitely need to do, you know, promote the game through the Pacific, and particularly in countries like Samoa, Fiji, and Tonga, because, you know, that's where a lot of the players are coming from. Despite their success, Samoa were missing a number of frontline players in the match. And Matt Parrish says the NRL needs to show more support for the international game. The th- disappointing thing about today, this weekend's games, is you know, you talk to club players that want to play for the country, you know, and despite what people think, it was a test match, you know what I mean? It was, obviously it was an emerging nation test match, it was still a test match. Players want to play, you know, the disappointing thing is the clubs don't support it. I think the NRL, you know, to make this game, you know, whether it's worthwhile, they either play at the end of the year and get everyone to support it or they don't, you know, because again, you only got to see by the, uh, you know, the crowd and, and the atmosphere here, particularly after the game, what it means to people. It was a busy weekend for Rugby League with Australia coming from behind to beat New Zealand 30-18, to their record equaling 16th straight Test match victory. Meanwhile there was plenty happening off the field too with the Asia Pacific Confederation and Rugby League International Federation both holding meetings in Sydney. International Development Manager Taz Bateri says that off the back of a successful World Cup it's important to keep pushing forward while also consolidating on other successes such as the Pacific Test. We've got the Pacific Games on next year and we're hoping for 10 countries from the region to attend those games in, in Port Moresby. We're, apart from that, the Pacific Test will continue to go be played for at least another two more years. And I think uh, the, the reports are that the game was well received on television. And even though uh, the crowd was just short of 10,000 last Saturday, the atmosphere of the crowd uh, in, intimated to us that it's something that will be on the calendar for years to come. So while we're reviewing... What we've uh, just achieved over the last two, two years, including World Cup, we're setting our plans and future direction of the organisation in the region. And there were still some ongoing issues with players' availability for the mid-year test. I know some countries, uh, I think uh, Matt Parrish mentioned that maybe moving it to the end of the year would be a better option in terms of you know, getting a, a fuller strength team involved. Obviously players from the Northern Hemisphere aren't really involved in in April or May uh, match and then you had uh, instances like Anthony Milford who obviously was told you know play for Queensland under 20s instead when he could have still played for Samoa and then gone on and played for Queensland if that was so what was the case um, are those just sorts of things that you continue to work through? Yeah I think they have to be there, there needs to be a little bit of education uh, not only to players but clubs in what we're trying to achieve I think for the, the Pacific Test last year and this year we had very high standards where we had quality coaches running the sides, and we also had very strong support teams that were all in our real experience. So it's not that we lack any expertise in this area. I think the clubs probably aren't 
uh, aware of the level of professionalism that we have got around these teams and something that probably needs to be expressed themselves in another manner. And I think once they are comfortable with the level that we're running at, I'm sure that they'll be having access to players, it'll be a lot easier. I think the Milford case with the choice between Queensland and Samoa was a difficult one. But at the end of the day, if the player feels strongly enough one way or another, it becomes his choice in the end. Is there still an element of you know, double standards maybe with you know, players being released for a New Zealand-Australia match, but maybe some clubs not valuing the Pacific Test in, in the same uh, regard? Yeah, I think there, there, there are some frustrations. And again, I think it comes back to um, contacting clubs earlier in the piece rather than at the 11th hour. And as I said in the beginning, educating them along the processes that we've taken and steps that we've taken to ensure the players are well taken care of as if they were back in clubland. And I think playing at this senior level now, even when you look at the way the origin fixtures go, players that play in the origin series are hardened and and improved players because of the intensity that they've experienced. And I believe this same intensity will uh, arise also through the Pacific Test. You mentioned, of course, that Papua New Guinea will be hosting the Nines event as part of the Pacific Games next year. They are also pretty keen to see a revival of the Pacific Cup, which I think is something they were going to mention at the meeting. Uh, is that prospect realistic in the next few years, or when you talk about consolidation, is this something that might be a bit further down the track? Now, Vinny, you're right, and I think the um, aggressive nature in the way, and I mean that in a, a kind way, Papua New Guinea now with the Hunters team in the Q Cup have uh, uncovered or discovered new talent. Uh, everybody's well aware that rugby league is the number one sport in Papua New Guinea. Uh, it's the national sport. Nothing else gets close. Even religion is a distant second. So they're, they're in it, uh, and they want to demonstrate to the world they're up, they're up to the Australian standards. Obviously, their long-term objective is to have a team in the NRL, but I think that's a little way away as well. Uh, they've got a lot of infrastructure redevelopment going on at the moment because of the Pacific Games. And they'll have quality um, stadia ready uh, in two years' time where you know even NRL games could be played up there. So there's a little bit of, of a journey ahead of us, but Papua New Guinea have thrown down the challenge to everybody to sort of take advantage of this uh, new enthusiasm and direction that their uh, state team's taking the Q Cup competition. Is there buy-in from a lot of the countries that, that would want to be a part of a tournament like that? Because obviously we've got the Fiji, Samoa, PNGs, the Cook Islands that you know all attended the World Cup along with Tonga and then the likes of Vanuatu, Solomon Islands and uh, Niue, some of those other you know countries that have also been trying to develop their teams as well, I guess, are a, a tier below. But I know the Philippines have been you know, arranging a couple of tests against them as well for later in the year. So is, is that workable? Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, there obviously is a two-tiered level of competitiveness. Um, we can't expect the Vanuatu's and the Solomon Islands or the Philippines and Japan for that aspect because Japan is also an observer member to the Asia-Pacific Confederation. They're not at that level, but our uh, current uh, five Pacific Island countries where the game's been cemented now for over 20 years is very strong and improving and becoming a very important nursery for NRL, NRL clubs into the future. That's Taz Bateri from the Rugby League International Federation. After two years in the international wilderness, five countries have assembled in Japan this week for the East Asia Pacific Women's Cricket Trophy. The winner will compete at next year's Women's World 2020 Qualifier 
which will determine the final spot of the Women's World 2020 in India in 2016. The Cook Islands were newcomers to the international scene at the last tournament in Vanuatu two years ago, but CEO and coach Alistair Stevich says their expectations are much bigger this time around. The first bridge is to obviously to knock off that first ever win for a women's uh, Cook Islands national team, and I think that's going to be a very historic and special occasion. And I know that's driving a lot of the girls. They understand, a lot of the ladies in our team, that they could be the first team to pick up a win. The Vanuatu coach Chris Moran says his squad has improved significantly over the past two years and believes they're in with a chance of going all the way. This team has created a lot of interest around, around Port Vila and around town. Um, I'd say regardless of what happens over in Japan, these girls come back and cricket's going to grow many times over. Alrighty, and uh, obviously you, Vanuatu, hosted the last event two years ago. Uh, how many uh, returning faces have you got from then? We still have about eight from that squad, so those girls have obviously got the, that experience. Um, brought some new, new younger players into it with a lot of enthusiasm and some very skillful players as well. Was that the last international tournament that the Vanuatu women were a part of? Yeah, it's the last especially hard tournament that they've actually played in. We've had their, their club tournaments and stuff, but they're nothing like... No exposure on the world scene at all. Indeed, so I think a number of the countries are in that situation, um, not so much perhaps the likes of Japan who have uh, other avenues up where they are and stuff, but uh, does that mean there's an element of uncertainty, whereas you, you, you probably think you've progressed in the last couple of years, but until you actually get out on the on the field there and, and go toe-to-toe, you don't really know? Yeah, you don't really know. We just play what's in front of us without getting carried away with you know other names and who's doing what and everything. I know other countries have sent girls have been playing in... You know, Auckland and Australia and stuff, but all our girls are virtually homegrown cricketers. So, yeah, all we can do is go out and play play what's in front of us and believe in ourselves and, and do the job. Do you have any have any targets, one win, two win, three win, where you think you might be able to come? Oh, I think we might be able to win it. I have no doubts about that. That's what we're going there for. And yeah, we're not happy just to make one or two wins. Definitely going to, to compete. When these tournaments do come around, what, what sort of a difference do they make to the players? makes the world a difference to them you know some of the girls you know haven't traveled outside the country before so it's not just the cricket it's just a whole life experience for them as well and you know it only comes around every two years and if they're in that window of opportunity they've got to take it so all the energies rise and interest and it's yeah, they're, they're critical tournaments to be playing in that's the vanuatu women's cricket coach chris moran Mulsi Mulavoro scored the match-winning try with a minute remaining as Fiji beat Scotland 17-10 to seal a third-place finish in the penultimate round of the IRB World 7 Series in Glasgow. Having qualified top of their pool, Fiji beat England in the quarter-finals, but were knocked out of title contention by series leaders New Zealand in the semis. Fiji's victory further cements their grip on third place in the overall series standings, with just the one round remaining in London this coming weekend. Meanwhile, Samoa were beaten 29-12 by Argentina in the bowl semi-finals to slip to 8th place overall. New Zealand all but secured a 12th World Series title after thrashing Canada 54-7 in the cup final, extending their series lead over South Africa to 19 points with one round remaining. And Auckland City and Amakau will contest the Oceania Champions League football final for the second time in four years. Defending champions Auckland City secured the final spot, beating Tahitian champions Pirae 4-2 on aggregate despite a 2-1 defeat in the return league in Papaita. Amakala beat Fiji's Mbad 2-1 on aggregate in the other semi-final. The overall winner will advance to the FIFA Club World Cup in Morocco in December. The first leg of that final is this weekend in Port Vila with the return league the following weekend. 
And that's the World in Sport for this week. I'm Benny Wiley. As always, thank you very much for listening. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to no. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold and our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.